0: to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message Today, I wanted to start off uh, looking at a subject which you might think has something to do with the Holy Spirit, but it's a load to do with Him, and that's all to do with this subject of the flesh and the spirit. Remember, it talks about don't walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit, and. It's like all of this debate about how do I walk in the spirit then? How do I not let the flesh dominate me and overpower me? Because, you know, you, know, you hear stories about how the flesh is so powerful and how it becomes so um, overwhelming for people. And I I think it was worthwhile just starting at this point, really, and trying to understand what Paul's saying in various scriptures and what some of the New Testament books are saying about the whole subject, about the flesh and spirit. Because I imagine you all want to walk in the spirit. You all want to know the anointing of the spirit on your life. You all want to be aware of the Holy Spirit. So let's try and deal with this whole issue about how powerful the flesh is and what we can do about this terrible thing called the flesh. Um, But there's a lovely verse in Hebrews verses 8 to 12. And it's worth having either your electronic Bible or your Bibles out because we'll look at quite a number of scriptures. We'll be jumping around a bit. So it's worth having them ready. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. And it says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Oh, there we go. That's settle us down now there's our father speaking to us saying I'm not going to remember the unrighteous deeds I'm not going to remember their sins I'm not going to remember their lawless deeds it's not going to be in the forefront of my imagination or my memory or my thinking anymore I'm not going to be aware of them I'm not going to remember it anymore so let's have that as the starting point for our life with with God But there does appear to be a war going on, or at least people talk about this war going on, between the old and the new man. Do you remember Jesus talks about us being a new creation? But we also, in Romans 7, read about the old man. You know know that wonderful phrase where it says, that which I don't want to do, I do. And that which I want to do, I don't do. And you get this description of this terrible battle going on. And I bet if you looked inside yourself, you could see that battle taking place sometimes. You know, I want to do this, but I won't do it. I'll do that instead. So you get this, what appears to be a picture of the flesh and the spirit fighting each other. We, get, we can read various scriptures with Paul telling us to, you know, yield to the spirit of God and don't yield to the flesh. Yield to the spirit and don't... And so. You know, somehow or other, that it's the spirit life that you want. But what if my my flesh life is so powerful that it's overwhelmed me and I can't do what I want to do? Because it says in Romans 7. And if I'm like that, I'm double-minded. I mean, it says in Scripture, a double-minded man can do nothing because he's just double-minded. <laughs> and if I'm in that double-minded category, oh, God, I'm going to struggle. And then I read in Galatians 5 verse 17 for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish ah there's you know now even in Galatians Paul's talking about this war that's going on the spirit realm different to the the fleshly realm that the two fight against each other and they're totally contrary to one another. Therefore, how on earth am I going to live in the spirit realm if I've got that battle going on inside me, okay? So, you know, pretty strong stuff from Paul. Romans 7 verse 19 says, For the good that I will do, I do not do, but the evil I will not do, that I practice. Ah, is there ever a solution for us? When you read these various verses from what Paul has written, it just seems like, oh, you must have to be super holy to be a spiritual man then. That's the only way I can get out of it. Or there's some, I've got to do something. I've got to, there's some sort of effort I've got to do. There's some way I've got to control this old man to a degree that it no longer raises its head. And therefore, the spirit man can be top so what how do I do it how do I keep that old man down so that the spirit man can be alive and I can walk in the spirit and see the wonderful things of the spirit that we all want to see okay so we even use language that really messes us up I think you know we we can hear people say things like we will all struggle this side of heaven When we get to heaven, everything will be fantastic. But this side of heaven, we're just going to struggle. I'm only human. What do you expect? I'm only human. In that statement, we're saying that obviously the nature of human is that we're going to err and make terrible mistakes, etc. The flesh man is just going to be powerful. Of course, we all sin as if it's like, it's normal. We all sin, so therefore, I'm just going to accept it. I'm somebody that sins and you're somebody that sins and let's just accept it. And that's the way to go. We have to live with the old man until heaven. So here we go. Old man is with me. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, it wonderfully worked that he did. But I still have the old man now in this fleshly body. And I have to live with him and keep him suppressed until I get to heaven. And in heaven, I'll be in that new relationship with Jesus and it'll be fantastic. Or we'll say things like, we have to get our whole self saved. So we got saved by saying to Jesus, please, will you, you know, come into my life? And Jesus said, yes, yes, okay. I've come into your life, I'm saved. Now we have to deal with the flesh and, it, and God's given it responsibility to us to deal with the flesh. So I've got to now get that bit of me saved. So a lot of effort puts in into sorting out my wrong thinking, sorting out my uh, terrible uh, emotional state and all the hurts that happened many years ago and how they affect my life. Maybe I'm looking at um, uh, demonic actions from my parents that are coming through a demonic line and impacting me and therefore I've got to deal with all that. Or maybe I'm looking at a curse from 20 generations ago that's coming on to my life and therefore I've got to deal with all of that so that I am saved. And these are statements that Christians use. They are statements that we hear. Or maybe it's just the simple one of, in our liturgy within churches, every Sunday, I confess my sins. So I get into church. First thing I do is, I'm a terrible wretch. I am somebody who sins. Therefore, God, please forgive me. There's nothing wrong with asking for forgiveness for things wrong but most times people go searching for something and they're trying to find what it is and say, please forgive me, God. And the, the dilemma comes that there's this split personality in every, well, not every Christian, but in lots of Christians, split personality going on. I am a child of God and I sing wonderful songs about being child of God. Oh, but I also have this old man here that lurks in the dark and it loves the dark. And it makes me do things that I don't want to do. And I have this split personality. So all I can do is try and discipline. um, More Bible reading, more prayer, more attending services, more doing the things of God will keep that suppressed so that the spiritual man can be alive. And I see that split personality going on in many, many Christians, unfortunately. So I'm setting the scene here and I'm just going to pose a question. I am wondering whether we might be looking at some of these scriptures incorrectly and that maybe if we look at them again we might start to see something different that Jesus has done and if I could see it differently and if I could have my mind renewed I might discover that I live a spiritual life in a much different way than i have been doing so let's think about the first one which was galatians 5 i mean that was pretty damning wasn't it galatians 5 17 for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so who was paul writing to when he wrote galatians that's something that's very important, I think, to get hold of. Because we read these letters as if they apply to us absolutely, as if it, you know, Paul has written me the letter and I'm reading it just straight from Paul. But understanding who Paul, whose Paul's audience was when he wrote the letter actually helps us understand how much of this letter he wrote directly to me. And what you find in, is in Galatians 1, verses 6 and 7. Let's have a look at that. This is where I can't find Galatians, but i quick have a look, quick look. Do you ever find that when the pressure's on you, you can, the book disappears? <laughs> it's like, it's gone. Who took it? Look, it's happened again. <laughs> There we go. So we're looking at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Ah, so immediately I start to understand that Galatians is written... To a group of people who are now turning away from the gospel. And that starts to make me think differently about how I read the scripture. He's writing this letter. Let's say you three over there had decided that the gospel of grace wasn't what for you anymore. And you wanted to go back to being Jews and doing all the things of Jews. So I would write you a letter saying, don't do that. (laughs) It's silly. I'll tell you the reasons why in a minute, but don't do it. All right. Or Galatians 3 verse 1. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? I mean, that's strong language, isn't it? He's telling them, look, you're being foolish in what you're doing. In turning away from this gospel, you are just forgetting the benefits of what Jesus has won for you. And you see, you start to see that he's writing this, um, this letter to a group of Christians who are not wanting to go on with the truth of the gospel. So he tells the Galatians to stand fast in the liberty which Christ Jesus has given them, Galatians 5.1. 5, 5 verse one. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not entangle again with the yoke of bondage. So, all of a sudden, he's telling them, look, come on, when you gave your life to Jesus, he gave you liberty and freedom. And now you're wanting to go back to bondage again. Don't do it. Okay? So, when you read the word flesh in the Bible... It actually means two things. It's either the body sack, i.e. my fleshly body, which of course isn't sinful at all. It's just, you know, the thing I walk around in. You know, there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's just my physical body. Or it means an inward element that produces evil acts. So when it's using flesh, it's saying to you, there's something inside you that produces evil acts. And that's the only two ways that the word flesh is used in, with Paul. So here, in Galatians, he is saying this flesh, when he talks about flesh, he means this inward element that produces evil acts. And we'll talk about that more in a bit. So in 517, Paul is warning the Galatians that the flesh, this inward element, That produces evil acts is contrary to the spirit. That's what he's just telling them. And he says, if you go away from the liberty that Jesus has given you, you're going to find that this flesh thing bites you. right? But if you live in the liberty that Jesus has given you, you'll find something else wonderful covers you. Let's look at Romans 7. Because chapters 6, 7, and 8 within Um, the Romans it's probably the most confusing chapters for Christians because in six it's like oh, everything's done for me by Jesus it's fantastic seven is woe of me I'm a terrible terrible person eight there's no condemnation in my life Uh, it's like well which one am I you know am I the one in six where everything's fantastic am I the one in seven which everything's bad or am I the one in eight where there's no condemnation I haven't a clue And it's, again, it's understanding who he wrote chapter 7 to. Um, So, let's have a little look at that. Romans 7. Romans 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. So verse 1 makes it quite clear. He's writing to people who are under the law. Absolutely clear. So when you get to chapter 7 in Romans 6, and actually this is a quite a normal approach for people writing at this time when these letters were written. That they'll have six, which is the wonderful blessing of being a Christian, in the what Jesus has done for me. And then he'll go back to say, Don't be under the law. You know, you lot are living under the law. The effect of it is, and then he goes back again to saying, There's no condemnation for me. So it's using a normal way of writing that they have. It's quite contrary to the way we would write, but it's quite normal for them. So here in chapter 7, he's saying he's starting to speak to people who now believe they're still under the law. And if you are still under the law, what is the impact of being under the law? Well, it's what we read, for, for the good that I will do, I do not do, but the evil I will not do that I practice. That's the whole thing about the law, because it doesn't free you, it just points out where you're wrong. There we go Miriam. All those things you did today that's wrong because it didn't match up to the law. There we go. Well thank you very much. Well what help was that? It didn't set me free from it. No, but I can point it out again. Look all of those things you did are wrong. Yes, I know, but it didn't set me free. Well I didn't say that I was giving you something that set you free. I just gave you the good, which is the law, which is what? Perfectly good. (laughs) But it doesn't help you at all with the very root problem, which is an inward element that causes sinful acts. I want somebody to deal with that, please. (laughs) So anyway, Romans, I'm trying to point out to you, Romans is writing to people who are found under the law. Romans 3.20 just so we understand clearly. A quick yeah, go on. It's really lovely what you're saying there. This is absolutely just mind blowing for me. So it would be like right to say if you are suffering for those things, the reason might be a is because you're under the law. Yes. <laughs> <Hallelujah>. <laughs> you, you, with grace, you cannot have a bit of both. <laughs> you, 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 can't, you can't have a bit of both. It'll just, law will bite you all the time. Or you choose grace and live in the fun of it. It's all done by Jesus, and many Christians try to have both because they believe they read these scriptures and feel oh. What happens is you have enough stuff in your life to prove that you're under the law. You know it's impacting you. You Enough stuff that's around you to prove that. Anyway, three twenty. I was trying to get to. And it says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law, the knowledge of sin. So the purpose of the law was to reveal sin. And it was very, 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 very good at doing it. All right. But none of your, it doesn't help your flesh get free. (laughs) It doesn't help it. All it does, point out. There we go. There's your sin. sin. Now, what you've got to remember is it's Paul who's writing this. And he was the best at keeping the law. That's what he says of himself. I was the best. And yet he also says, it's a load of dung and whatever, because I could never get anywhere with it. Even though I was the best at keeping the law above everybody else, it did nothing for this inner thing that was inside me. All right? So maybe we're not understanding these verses correctly, and missing something of the power of grace. And I think what I'd like to do is just look at what Jesus did for us on the cross and try and understand what he did and therefore where we choose to believe. Because the reason why I want to do this is that you will face situations when you're ministering to someone When you haven't had the best day, you had, what do we call it, bad hair day. You know, the kids have done something and you've had trouble with them. Somebody's cut you up on the motorway and it's like, you know, so in the middle of that, I destiny says to you, oh yes, do you really go to that church over there and do some ministry, prophesy over all those people and you're going to walk in with that all over you. Now, does that mean you can't minister to them? I'm going to tell you, no, it doesn't. I'm going to just share a testimony with you at this point, because I'm going to go on to talk about the power of the cross and what it's done for you, okay? Um, So, if you remember, I think people might have talked to you about, we used to have a dance and drama group, um, called Manchester Sacred Dance and Drama Group, and we used to go all over the Northwest doing evangelistic activities, um, praying for people, seeing people saved, etc. And this one Sunday evening, we'd been invited to a church in Stockport. And I'd been given the real privilege of leading the whole service. So, I mean, it's a, it's a real privilege to do that, and um, leading the whole service. Um, and, you know, I'd have to liaise with Andy for worship, what worship songs we're going to sing. We were going to do a piece of drama, um, Uh, it was was called the Holy Spirit, it it was called Pentecost. It was just a a piece of drama describing the whole, you know, the baptism, the Holy Spirit, all that sort of stuff. Um, I'd have to talk with people about um, what sort of ministry we're going to do after the service, um, whether we want to do any extra dances, because often we would have a piece of drama and then some dances as part of the worship or something like that. But how would we pray for people? What was the ministry going to be? All those. Things. So I was responsible for all of that. Anyway, I must have woken up and got out of the bed on the wrong side for some reason. I, you know, I was rude. And no, <laughs> good frame. I, I honestly, at this point, I cannot remember why I was like I was. But I was. So Andy said, we're in a group like this now. We're, in a group. we're going to plan the service. We're at the, we're at the church. We've all got dressed in our costumes. It's now like time to communicate with one another. Andy says, okay, Alan, what worship do you want You want us to do? You know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour. You know, what sort of theme? So, no worship at all, Andy. We're not having any worship tonight. I thought, where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> not having any worship tonight. If the play's good... It'll stand on its own. So, and he's like, what? So, uh, you know, people like June and Sharon are trying now to encourage this awkward feeling person. Well, Alan, what would you like to do? Any thoughts about the Holy Spirit? No, I've got no thoughts about the Holy Spirit or what's happening. I don't, if, if it's, it's God, it's God. Oh, gosh. Anyway, we had a, coffee and tea, and nobody's talking to me, you know, it's like, I don't want to go anywhere near Alan, it's something's happened, something wrong with Alan, nobody's strong enough to be able to say, well, you ain't leading today then, <laughs> you know, and I'm going, I don't know what's going on, why am I like this? I'm going to jump to the end, right, so done the drama, no worship, so no, all, all it was was, we're going to do the Holy Spirit play, I, I had to do it, just going to do the Holy Spirit play. <laughs> we did the play. I stood there, said, "Holy Spirit, come!" The, it was like uproar in the place. Demons were coming out of people. People were being slain. The spirits speaking in tongues for the first time. Uh, people were shaking, bouncing over chairs, coming just walking up the aisle. I'd look at them. The power of God would hit them. They would fall on the floor like this. It was just stunning what was happening. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, this is incredible. Incredible. This is what you want, walking in the spirit, isn't it? Had everything finished, I overheard Sharon as she was walking out, why on earth does God bless him when he's in such a mood? <laughs> 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 right. So, if I had believed in the the flesh and the spirit, Galatians 5, Romans 7, I would have disqualified myself totally. I wouldn't have been able to minister to people because all of those things, it's just like the flesh was overwhelming, it's just powerful, right? What I had done was turned around, looked at Jesus and said, I'm sorry, I do not understand why I'm like this today, so I'm just sorry. Do you know, when you ask for forgiveness, he forgives you? It's just true. And the whole place of our life with Jesus is just one of, just say sorry. If I had been more mature, I was a younger man then, if I was more mature, I would have just said sorry to everybody else as well. But even though I hadn't said sorry to them, the Holy Spirit just used me. Stunningly. I, I mean, it was Carl Fletcher. Carl Fletcher was the pastor of the church at that time. And he still remembers it as being a, an absolutely stunning evening of the outpouring of the Spirit of God on his church. Or from a man who was in the wrong attitude, wrong sort of position, wrong whatever, but somebody who didn't disqualify himself. And often we as Christians disqualify ourselves because we think, oh, there's something bad in me, therefore I can't do this. And the truth is, Holy Spirit's in you, you ain't bad, (laughs) it's pretty good. Okay, so let's, that was my, Fortune. there's only been one occasion I think of that (laughs) sort of behavior. Mm. Um, But I wanted just to share it with you, to show you that, you know, our dad loves us. And he's totally aware of what's going on in us, okay? So let's start looking at um, scriptures. This is um, Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. So, we're talking here about Adam. Adam sins, and it spreads. It's just like yeast. It, It infects everybody, right? And that's what happened. Romans 5, 17. By the one man's offence, death reigned through the one. And so it's quite clear what Paul is trying to say to us here is that one man, Adam, sinned and it infected everybody. And because of that, death reigned. So the law came through Moses and although the law was good, it did not lead to any life. Romans 3.20 is read before, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for the law is the knowledge of sin. So although the law had been given by God, it's, it did not bring life to you. Okay? It just revealed sin. And let's try and understand this word "sin" that we use all the time. I don't in German. Do you just have that one word "sin", or do you have different words for sin? Just one word. Yeah, just sin. Yeah, and, and that's what we have in in English. Just one word, and unfortunately, it doesn't do the Greek justice really. In Romans, there's two separate words used for sin. Um. And 99.999% of the time, one word is used, which is hamartia, H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. And when that word is used, 99.999% of the time, it's, just, it's used, there's only, the other word is only used once, so all times when you're reading it in Romans, and you read sin, it's hamartia. And the meaning of it is an inward element that produces evil acts. So it's nothing to do with the evil act itself. It's to do with the inner bit that produces the evil act. So it doesn't mean evil acts like stealing or lying, etc. It's a noun and not a verb. Okay, It's a noun, not a verb. So the problem with us is when we read sin, we think of actions, you know, stealing, doing what I did, you know, shouting, you know, no worship, no, that terrible attitude. We think of that sort of action. But really, what Paul's talking about when he talks about sin is something inside us that generates those evil acts. So what happens when we get saved and what, ha- what does Jesus do? Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There we go. Wonderful scripture. You know, all I've got to do is just believe and confess, and I'm saved. So it's very easy, really, to get into the kingdom of God. I just believe Jesus was sent, and I confess that he is my Lord. Done. did doesn't actually say anything about confessing my sins. I think maybe the church put all that in, right? It just says, believe and confess that he's Lord. How strange. I would have thought there should have been long list. What's my all my evil acts? And I confess all my evil acts and then I get saved, but it doesn't. Okay, um, next one. We receive abundant grace and righteousness and life. (laughs) <laughs> what do I receive? Abundant grace, righteousness, and life. Let's read it. Romans five seventeen. Are you keeping up with me? Yeah, we all right, don't we? For if by the one man's offence death reigned through the one man, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus. Oh, look at that. One man's sin impacts everybody, so they have this inward element that causes sinful acts. One man's action, Jesus, means that I will reign in life. Ha! I'm reigning in life. He's done it for me. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21. We're all trying this is all to try and help us understand the spirit life and living and walking with the spirit. Okay. So 2 Corinthians 5 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus was made sin. And what's the impact of that? I am righteous. You know, all the new creation week you've been learning about, you are righteous, you are blessed, you know, whatever. This is it. Jesus is, what Jesus did makes me righteous. The word become there can be a little bit awkward for us in English because we think of it as being a progression. So somewhere over there I become righteous, but today I'm not really righteous. Now, it didn't really mean that. It means instantly I become righteous. I am righteous. And that's why we would say to you, just practice saying it. I am righteous, I am righteous, I am righteous. And if I'm righteous, I'm not quite sure why every Sunday I'm wanting to confess my sins. Just a little point. Uh, We receive eternal life, Romans 5.21. Romans 5.21. So that a sin reigned in death even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as sin reigned in death, you know, the effect of sin was death, even so grace now reigns through righteousness. How am I righteous? Because what Jesus has done, he just makes me righteous. Oh, so now I am with grace, the empowering presence of God that enables me to be all and do all that God wants me to be and do comes mine and what does that do it's eternal life with jesus stunning thank you jesus for everything you've done now we get into some exciting stuff now romans 6 verse 6 knowing this that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin so we're going to put the word hermatria in there knowing this that our old man was crucified with him that the body of hermatria the inward element that causes outward acts might be done away with that we may no longer be slaves to hermatria see what he's saying i I, the old man is dead as when i gave my life to jesus It says in Corinthians, I became a new creation. (laughs) The old man, this fleshly thing, died. Why do I then want to live the rest of my Christian life believing it's still alive, fighting me? It's dead. Now, let's believe it's dead then and start to live in the benefit of the wonder of the cross, the grace of Jesus. Okay? I mean, that's, that's a stunning verse, isn't it? Galatians 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. <laughs> okay? <laughs> How much clearer do you want it than that? I think when you're crucified, you're dead, aren't you? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Ha! Huh. I no longer live. Christ lives in me, right? And the life which I now live in the flesh, this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ah! So my focus is on him. I died with you on the cross, Jesus. My old fleshly man, my old man died there. Remember the the picture of baptism? You know, what was it the picture of? As you go under the water... The old man's dead, you come out of it, new man. You don't come out of it, new man plus old man. New man plus old flesh. You come out, new man. New man. Oh, no, you get that in your head and you start living it. Oh, happiness comes to you because I'm no longer fighting this thing. Okay. So, Romans 6, verse 6. Oh, I think I read that. Our body of sin has just been done away with. Our body of sin has been done away with. Uh, Romans 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Hermatria, the evil act thing, will not have dominion over me, because I'm under grace, not law. It only has dominion over me when I'm under law. Truth is, when you're a Christian, you gave your life to Jesus, became a new creation. The only way now that sin impacts you is through your thinking. It is through your mind. It's no longer this inward thing that causes evil acts, but your mind can still do its stuff. So you've only got to have this thought going through your head. They don't like me. Now, where did that thought come from? The enemy loves doing that sort of thing. But how does that impact your life? Oh, it can have major impact. They don't like me. So what do you do? You isolate yourself. And then you blame the past or whatever. But the truth is you just believed a lie and then you put actions towards the lie and you've isolated yourself and, you know, sinful Things can come out of it, can't it? You know, you can be hurtful towards somebody in what you say or whatever. You don't care for me. You know, there's a common statement that comes out, you don't care for me. And it all came from this lie that you believe in. All right, so that is really the only way that it comes in for a Christian. The enemy can put his finger on lies into your mind. He can do that. And that's the way he, he does it. And that's why community is wonderful, because it helps you. You know, when you're going, having these wrong thoughts, you can just talk to somebody and they can say, actually, that's a load of rubbish you're believing. <laughs> Let me tell you the truth, okay? So, are we getting there? Are we understanding now that, you know, this, this old man got dealt with. He died. And he's not, alive. He's not around trying to bite me anymore. Jesus is powerful enough on that cross to deal with it. Absolutely is. Okay? I am not saying that Christians do not and cannot have sinful acts. They still can. We can still mess up. Absolutely we can. But we don't have to. Because what did it say? It will not have dominion over you. Oh, wonderful. So that means oh, there's freedom for me all the time to find freedom. Okay? Um, so Galatians three thirteen and 14 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith oh how fantastic here yeah. you know we have been redeemed from that curse of the law, and now I can receive the blessing of the Spirit in my life. Okay, Romans six twenty-two. But now, having been set free from the sin and having become slaves of God, you have your you have your fruit to holiness and an end, everlasting life. And now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end, everlasting life. And there it is. There's no condemnation. In fact, we'll look at that one. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh. No, I don't. Because... It's dead. And I'm not walking according to it. But according to the Spirit, yes, I do walk according to the Spirit. So now I've got to deal with my brain. Because my brain will tell me, today you must be walking according to the flesh. Tomorrow you must be walking according to the Spirit. The day after you must be according to the flesh. The day after that walking to the Spirit. And I go double-minded. No, the truth is, I, as a Christian, I walk after the Spirit. All of them. Every person who gave their life to Jesus walks after the Spirit. Can they still do wrong deeds? Yes, they can, unfortunately. Do they need to do wrong deeds? No, they don't. And I think that's where it is. Um, We we as a church are not saying that, you know, you you never ever sin again. That would be nonsense. Of course you do. You only have to live with you for a week to find that out. But you don't have to. And it doesn't have to have dominion over your life. And how do you deal with it? You just say, sorry. And if you have played with awful thoughts, a simple technique is to say, I don't need that thought anymore. And you just declare, I don't need it anymore. And all of a sudden, that thought has no power over you. It just dwindles away. And you can now start believing a new thought, lovely thought from God. It's fantastic. You remember the woman caught in adultery? Um, You know, she's there and she has committed sin. She has done it. Everybody's gone around them to judge her, aren't they? They know she has. The law says you've got to stone her. Jesus, what are you going to do? He's just drawing something on the floor down here. And he says to people, well, i tell you what. If you are without sin, then you cast the first stone. And everybody goes, well, that's not me then. (laughs) And they walk away. And she's looking at him. He's looking at her. And he says, is there no one to condemn you? No, sir. And he says, I do not condemn you either. How intriguing to me. If we put our old Christian thinking hat on, we want to be punished. Surely Jesus is going to punish us for for doing this. And he says, I don't condemn you either. And then he says another wonderful thing. He's going to sin no more. And do you remember, I think I've said to you is that the word of God contains within it the power to do what it goes out to do. An example. Peter's in the boat. Jesus is walking on the water. Peter says, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to come. Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of the boat and walks. How can he walk on water? Because the word coming from the word of God, get what I mean? Jesus is the word of God. The word coming from the word of God, come, contains within it everything necessary for you to do the miracle, which is walk on the water. There was nothing in Peter that enabled him to walk on water, but the word contains everything necessary. So as that word hit Peter, he could do the miraculous thing of walking on water. As soon as he stopped believing in that word, i.e. looking at Jesus, and he looked at the water, he began to sink, didn't he? It's the same thing going on here with the lady who's caught in adultery. He says, sin no more. What's the impact of the word of God, Jesus, saying, sin no more? It's and it's not condemnation, because it can't be, because he says, I don't condemn you. And it's not an instruction to go and do the impossible, because he knows she can't do the impossible. I sin no more. So contained within it is the power for her not to sin anymore. That's what we've just been reading in Romans. Oh, I'm free. <laughs> it, the word of God, in my life, means it contains everything necessary for me. To live the way Jesus wants me. Remember what it says is that you've been given everything for godly life. Oh, if I've been given everything for a godly life, what have I got to do to make a godly life? Uh, nothing. I've just got to enjoy it. Get what I'm trying to get at? <laughs> um, so verse 2 of 8 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. From the law of sin and death. I mean it's just wonderful. I am free from that law that caused sin and death. So if I'm free from it. I've got to be free from it. Haven't I? Haven't I? Or is there something. You know I'm free but there's a bit here. I'm free, but I, As soon as I start to put the but. Then I'm trying to work something out myself and my salvation is something I do, and he does. I've got a feeling I'm not quite good enough to do that, big enough, whatever. I think i like to trust that what he did was perfect <laughs> and did it for me, okay? One, 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, I become a new creation. A new creation. Oh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. So, if I'm a new creation... I'm new, aren't I? The old went, and I became new. Is that true, Mary? Did I become new? I became new. And so I start to enjoy being new. And what does a new creation do? It, It has the spirit life. It walks according to the spirit. Oh. Brilliant. I'm walking according to the spirit. Which means then, even when a and um, a young man who is really obnoxious, he's still walking according to the Spirit. And the grace of God is immense. And the mercy of God is enormous. <laughs> it, just, it just is. Right? We gain a new life in a new land. This is from the Message Bible. So Romans 6 verse 5 says, When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. (laughs) You can't put it any clearer, can you? Read again. When you went under the water in your baptism, we left the old country of sin behind. It's gone. Left it behind. And when I came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life In a new land. As simply put as that. Oh, that's, yeah. It's Romans 6 verse 5. In the message. message. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you receive all of this and it's not any of your efforts. Or what did it say in Romans Act to do? Believe Jesus was sent and confess my, my mouth that he's Lord. That's all I'm asked to do. And as I do that, all of the benefit that Jesus won on the cross becomes mine. You will find numerous scriptures throughout the scripture which talks about the fight against the flesh and choosing the spirit and all of that. And if you focus on one of those verses you will just still believe that a Christian has an old man and you've got to deal with the old man and keep him putting down and therefore what Paul talks about is in the future and we get it in the future but at this moment in time I'm still dealing with it but as I'm trying to show you is you can choose to have the freedom that Paul talked about and just believe it was dealt with and live in the fun and the wonder of that and live with the reality that you're walking in the spirit I find that one much much better he didn't pull you out of sin he pulled sin out of you the hamatria he took it out of you it no longer forms part of your life anymore that's why Paul talks to you so much about renewing your mind because he understands that it's the mind that can actually plague you Can you imagine what it would be like? Say you were Paul. You've been sending people to prison, getting people killed because they are following Jesus. You're doing all of that with a belief that God wants you to do it. And then Jesus encounters you on the road and your life is changed from that moment on if he hadn't had the revelation that his old sin life had been pulled out of him by Jesus, then all the acts that he'd done with all of those Christians would have condemned him forever. But he could write, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None at all. Because we know that when we ask Jesus for forgiveness. He forgives us. It talks about that our sins are separated. You know, as from the east to the west. That first verse I read to you from Hebrews, I will remember your sin no more. God hasn't even got a... It's not even in his thinking. I wonder if Andy's got a sin. I'll have to try and look in my book. No, not even remembering it. So... So... I, you know, I, I used to be an Anglican, and therefore, we used to say our liturgy every Sunday. And every Sunday, it was, "Oh, poor is me. I am woe. I am terrible. I've done so many bad sins." At least that's what it always felt like. And I always knew that Jesus would forgive me. But you always were searching for something to, you know, say, "I'm sorry for." And the reality is, He's done it all. In fact, Phil will probably talk to you more about that. The words for for, um, for you know, our forgiveness. It's like we're under a waterfall of forgiveness that continually happens over our life. It just, that's the way it's written. It's just continual flowing. Oh, that's the blood of Jesus. It didn't, 2,000 years ago. Yep, it's done. It just has a continual impact on us. You do not have to live with sin anymore because it got ripped out of you, right? John Crowder puts it like this. The old sinner that you once were completely died to the same degree that Jesus completely died. Right, Got that one? So the old thing that you were completely died just to the same degree that Jesus completely died. Death to self is not a lifelong process that is dependent on your efforts. So much Christian teaching is die to self, die to self, die to self. It's a process, keep doing it, keep doing it, die to self, die to self. When the reality is Jesus did it. Now, go through the cross and live on the other side and it's done. Or I keep trying to, and look, the truth is there is maturity. You know, we as Christians mature. We grow in our relationship with Jesus. We become aware of him more and more. But that's not that process. This process that John Crowder is trying to explain here is death to self, is you're having to do something to you so that you can be holy with God. And the only way you're holy with God is he says you are. He gives it to you, righteousness. Okay? Death to self is not a lifelong process that is dependent on your efforts. It was a final and complete act. The old you is not still hanging around. The old you is not still hanging around. Just as you went under the water, so was this a picture of being buried in the ground with Christ. The old you was swallowed up into his death and the thing that was spit back out was a completely new creation in Jesus. Ah, Hallelujah, I am new. I became new that day forty odd years ago when I said yes to Jesus. Ah, done. Do I ever have to confess my sins? Yes, I think this is, there are appropriate times. Um, sometimes they're just getting out from your lips some evil act that you did has a cathartic action in you, makes you feel clean. So I do say there are half times. Um, I remember confessing that I'd done some stealing as a young lad. It was really hard to do, but getting it out in the open, it was no longer a painful thing anymore. It was gone. Now I didn't understand what Paul had talked about here back those days. So, you know, I was thinking that I must confess if I don't confess, then God wouldn't be blessing me or whatever. And it's nothing to do with that. Sometimes it just is helpful. To have a confession, you know, say you had murdered somebody and had spent time in jail, and then you became a Christian. Sometimes it's just important to be able to say it. Okay, but I wouldn't. I mean, I know John Arnott. Uh, one of his sessions is um, an opportunity for you to confess something that's in the dark to somebody next to you, uh, and it's been very, very helpful for people. So I, I do understand it. Um, But do I have to do it to be righteous and blessed and holy? No, because he's dealt with it. But it might not be dealt with in my thinking. And it might be something that somebody can use against me and therefore I might need to just deal with things like that. Okay? Um, Working out your salvation with fear and trembling always sounds like work. (laughs) I've got to work out myself. But, it says that Jesus is the author and finisher of my faith. Oh, so, this whole aspect of working out my salvation is really more of a enjoying my relationship with Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith. He does it all. And that's the working out of my, my salvation. <laughs> you know, I'm just enjoying what He's done and I'm living in it. Fantastic. You don't need to add anything. He did it all for you. Your prayer, your worship, your Bible reading, your coming to church, all of those things are wonderful. But they add nothing to your, am I saved and did sin get ripped out of me? They add loads to your wonderful relationship with Jesus. They are wonderful prizes. But don't use them to be more holy or more full of the Spirit or to walk in the Spirit Because that's not where it comes from. It comes from what Jesus has done. Okay? And just believe and confess what he's done for you. Just make it part of your life. I am holy. I am righteous. I'm walking in the Spirit. He did everything for me. I am your son. I am your daughter. And a new creation. And I'm loving it. And it just becomes so freeing. And you discover that there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. I went through a period, you know, I'd come home from work and I would be feeling this, oh gosh, I'm not good enough. Oh gosh, I'm not there yet. Oh gosh, I'm and it would be out of my mouth before I knew it. And really it was a wrong thinking that I had. And I had to like say, Sorry, God (laughs) wrong thinking. Mm -hmm. I am your son, and I am righteous, and I am holy. And I'm full of you, and I'm in your presence. And I loved it. Okay, it changes you. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk